0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for sending your Son into the flesh, Lord, and revealing his glory as a glimpse of what is yet to come. Lord, as we prepare for those days that are to come in the beginning of Lent, Lord, we also look forward to the day that he comes again. We would ask this morning that you break your word, small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. For the past few weeks, we have considered what is love as it has been presented through our readings. However, There are plenty of fakes and forgeries around us that are willing to be found. So this morning, the ultimate answer to this question as we wind down on this series and we begin to walk towards the cross is that the actual proof is found in the pudding and the genuine article in the real deal. If you're following along in your bulletin, we are in the gospel text for today from Matthew 17. If you have your Bible along with you, we are beginning in the first verse. Our framework for understanding love defines authenticity of love by our emotional experiences of its expressions. In other words, we place love in terms of the emotional categories where we say, I feel love, I feel funny, I feel warm, I feel cold, I feel hungry, I feel sad. And in doing so, we make it something that can waver And we build lives and marriages on this understanding that this emotion that we share at this point in time is something that won't shift, it won't move, something that will stay firm. And then when it does, it feels like the bottom drops out beneath us. And whether that is love for a spouse, or love for a parent, or love for a friend, or even love for a child. Love is more than just an emotional experience. In chapter 16 that precedes our reading for today, Jesus has just told his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised again. And in hearing this, Peter immediately responds and says, no, Lord, I will not allow that to happen. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. And he's not saying, Peter, you are Satan. He's speaking to the devil, wearing Peter as a mask, speaking through Peter as a man, through Peter's insecurities, through Peter's fears, and even, yes, through Peter's love for Jesus. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And then he goes on to say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his his life for my sake will find it. And then we pick up in 17 today, and it says, after six days... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And then as we have just heard, he reveals for them a glimpse of his glory and his transfiguration. In our text from Exodus today, We see this scene where God calls Moses and Aaron and Hur and Joshua and 70 leaders of Israel, these men of God, to come into his presence. And they're eating. And then God calls to Moses and says, Come up to me further. And then Moses does so, and after six days, I don't know if you caught that in the text, after six days, then God reveals himself, removes the veil before Moses, and then sets forth his plan for Israel as he gives Moses the tablets on which the Ten Commandments have been written. In ancient days, and even in some non Western cultures still today, a man and his betrothed were separated by a veil until the consummation of their wedding night. In other words, He never really got to see her face, and we see this tradition carried into Western culture as even today you will often see a bride veil her face, and then as she is given away, then the father of the bride will lift that veil as he then presents his daughter to her groom. See, this was how Laban was able to trick Jacob into marrying the sister that he couldn't find a husband for. Jacob had worked to marry, to marry Rachel, and then on the wedding night, as the veil is lifted after the relationship has been consummated, he realizes he hasn't married Rachel. He's married, as the text says, the ugly sister Leah. Now you wonder, how could this happen? Because they had a veil between them. In the same way, God veils his face from his people. So much so that even the people of God say, we can't bear to see his face because if we do, then we will surely die. And here in this experience that he has with Moses, he pulls back the veil. Here in this experience that Peter, James, and John have with Jesus on the mountain, he pulls back the veil. And as it is lifted, the fullness of God amongst men is shown brighter than the sun. When love is the real deal, there is no room in the relationship for shadows or secrecy. And in fact, in that relationship, the past, the present, and the future are all bound together in the same place and time. And within that relationship, what is, was, and will be is all a present reality. We heard in our epistle text today from 2 Peter 1 the people of God in Christ Jesus are called to ignore the revelations of men and to follow the only true saving word of God. If our knee-jerk reaction to something or someone that we love is to have a fear of it changing or leaving us, then how can that love be the real deal? How can we trust that love to be the real deal? Peter, James, and John received confirmation that Jesus is the genuine article, the real deal, the savior of the world, and yet, rather than recognizing this as an affirmation of Jesus' word and his promises, Peter still wants To establish Jesus's place, his home, with Peter's people, not Jesus's people, but with Peter's people here on earth. Maybe it sounds like this. You know, we've talked this thing to death. Maybe it's time we move in together and see if we should get married. Maybe we should test the waters. And see, we know better. But we still want to cut out the hard stuff. We want to eliminate the waiting game. And we want to get right to the intimacy of doing life together. Or maybe it sounds like this. You know, we need to be realistic about the expectations of our relationship. We don't really... Expect each other to change. You can't really expect me to change. I mean, we are who we are. Even after 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years of marriage, I expect you to be the same person that I married on the day that we took our vows. They peacefully coexist, traveling together on separate paths without a willingness to sacrifice for taking the road less traveled together. But perhaps it sounds like this absence makes the heart grow fonder. We depend on each other too much to endure the discomfort of actually being separated. And the unhealthiness of our codependence forces our attentions inward so that we fail and cease to see our responsibilities to everyone else around us. This is what happens in marriages, in friendships, in relationships, and guess what? Even in ministry. Churches get comfortable, congregations like the comfort of those that gather with them. We turn inward. We like to skip over the hard stuff. The ministry of this congregation must move forward in faithfulness that by Christ, God is who he always has been. And in doing so, that we are who we are created to be through his spirit. We need to accept and recognize that this means that we will look, feel, sound, and act differently than we have thus far. That's what happens when we grow and we mature in the relationship of faith. That's what happens when we follow Jesus. The vision that God has for this ministry is less comfortable and more demanding than that which we would cast on our own. But your role is irreplaceable. And whether you're able to make the uncomfortable leaps, or you're able to help build the bridges for others to do so, or provide the financial means to make this journey possible. You have a place in God's plan for this ministry. We are called to be the real deal in loving and leading our neighbors, our school families, and our community in following Christ. I wish We could have been a fly on the wall to hear the conversation that was had between Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? In my mind, it sounds majestic and divine even. In reality, maybe it was Moses and Elijah going, look at those three fools. They got no idea what's coming. This is going to be fun to watch. But the reality is, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise. And have no fear. As he speaks these words, he faces towards Jerusalem and he begins to take every step from then forward towards his own death. And he doesn't stop. For his sake, he pauses for the sake of his disciples to say, Because you love me and because I love you, this is going to be hard. But we're in this together. And when you follow me, you trust. And when you trust, you believe. And when you believe, you have hope that goes beyond the grave. The fullness of love is found in action. As we enter into Ash Wednesday and Lent, this love becomes tangible and real. As we are confronted with the darkness of our own brokenness and sin, and as the light of Christ breaks in and through to reconcile and reclaim us as his own. As we face forward to a new season of ministry, I would challenge you to be defined by a love that pushes you to grow in how you share it. And as we look forward to a day together, when we will hear our Savior's voice saying, rise and have no fear, may we follow him as the real deal and no other, so that God always gets the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.